0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. A five-month-old boy in a Turkish hospital could not gain weight and was dangerously dehydrated. The infant's medical team in Turkey asked Yale's Richard Lifton to search the baby's DNA for a marker that would help them determine the illness. This is Colleen Shaddix for the Yale Office of Public Affairs and Communications talking with Dr. Lifton about this diagnostic first. So there are many doctors in the world. Why did they call you?
1: So we have been interested over the years in investigating patients with inherited forms of kidney disease. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a reputation around the world for having figured out a number of rare diseases that cause syndromes like the one that this boy had. And so the physicians, uh, realizing that this boy might have a genetic disorder, uh, contacted us to see if we could help make a diagnosis in this case.
0: And where did you find?
1: So it was very interesting. The patient was thought to have an inherited kidney defect. And as we heard the story, we realized that that was a strong possibility. But at the same time, we had been developing new methods for not just guessing, but Mm -hmm. being able to sequence all of the genes in the entire genome. And we thought this was a very good case to try to cut this uh, new technology's teeth on and see if it would work. And it did. It uh, demonstrated that this boy... Uh, after we had sequenced uh, 18,000 genes in uh-huh. the in this boy's uh, genome, uh, we found that he had uh, t- mutations on both copies of a specific gene that is involved not in keeping uh, uh, salt and water in the uh, reabsorbed by the kidney, but instead in uh, absorbing it from the colon, uh, the primary absorptive uh, mm-hmm. site. And so what we found was that this boy had an inherited defect, not in the kidney, but in the colon, uh, and that this actually suggested both a specific diagnosis uh, and an approach to treating him.
0: Which So what he had was fairly manageable, right?
1: So it, it actually is. It's a, it's a difficult disease, but knowing what you're dealing with yeah. is usually a good way to uh, uh, start to go at uh, trying to tackle the problem. And in his case, uh, sort of the classic uh, way that we would treat children uh, with cholera uh, is uh, with uh, high-glucose uh, oral uh, absorption, Uh, you're able to induce an alternative uh, uh, salt absorption pathway. So he has an inherited defect that keeps him from uh, absorbing chloride, and you're able to turn on an alternative pathway Mm -hmm. that allows him to absorb chloride. And this has turned out to uh, be very important in his management.
0: So you use something called exome sequencing to make this diagnosis. Can you explain what that is?
1: Yes. So up until this point, When we would sequence genes looking for inherited defects, we would typically use methods that would enable us to look at the sequence of maybe a few thousand bases in the genome at a time, Mm -hmm. and this is quite labor-intensive and very tedious, and we had developed a new method that enabled us to capture all of the coding sequences that encode every protein in the body from the whole uh, genomic sequence. So in our 3 billion base pair genome, uh, only about 1% of it actually codes proteins. So we developed a way that enabled us to selectively sequence just the parts of the genome that encode proteins. And so this enabled us to, in a, using new technology mm-hmm. in a very massive parallel way, to sequence 26 million bases of uh, DNA all at the same time in parallel and then disintegrate tangle uh, all those sequences and look for rare changes that uh, are specific for individual patients such as this one. So
0: how long did that process take?
1: So this was really a a good test. It uh, took uh, a total of nine days from start to calling up the physician Mm -hmm. and saying, we know what the diagnosis is and here's a diagnostic test to perform uh, to confirm the diagnosis and here's a therapeutic uh, plan.
0: So Nine days is not immediate, but it's certainly more rapid than old technology would have
1: Well, we wouldn't have been able to even uh, imagine making uh, a diagnosis on a gene-by-gene basis. You know, up to now, we would do, say, three genes in a period of a week. And you can imagine if you then said instead of three genes, you wanted to do 20,000, that uh, that would be uh, not very helpful clinically. Not not for the patient, Uh, no. (laughs) But but being able to uh, turn it around in uh, in a little over a week uh, is quite remarkable and quite helpful in this clinical instance
0: so what about other clinical instances i mean do you anticipate a much more wide use of this technology
1: so this technology is going to be useful in uh, several instances uh, first for finding uh, n- for gene discovery for new disease gene discovery mm-hmm. over the last decade by f- uh, what has become traditional approaches we've been able to identify collectively as a field of uh, mutations in about 2,500 genes and associate them with specific human diseases. But there are many that are, remain out there that we haven't been able to figure out uh, because we can't get big families or the disease is exceptionally rare. And in this case, being able to sequence all of the genes is going to be enormously helpful. And we expect this to contribute to diseases uh, ranging from cardiovascular disease to cancer mm-hmm. and autism all are going to be major beneficiaries uh, of this technology. But we also expect, as time goes on, that we will get better and better at applying this to the clinic and bringing it into clinical diagnosis. And you can imagine the early places that this is likely to have impact uh, will be in the genetics clinic, where Mm -hmm. frequently patients show up in the genetics clinic. And we know that there is a high likelihood of a genetic disorder, but the list of possibilities is so long that it may be much more efficient to simply sequence all of the genes in the genome. And the costs of sequencing have come down so drastically over the last decade uh, that this is increasingly becoming feasible.
0: Now, this work was done at the Yale Center for Genome Analysis. Can you tell me a little bit about the center, the kind of resources that are available there?
1: Sure. So, uh, starting about uh, two years ago, it became clear that the new technologies in DNA sequencing, as well as the dramatic reduction in the cost of sequencing, were going to afford new opportunities mm-hmm. such as these to apply uh, high-throughput genome sequencing to the understanding of uh, disease biology and clinical diagnosis. And so Yale made a strategic investment in developing uh, this technology. And this was set up, uh, the, the timing was great yeah. because uh, we had the space on the West Campus to establish this center. And it was a, a pretty big lift to, uh, to do to bring in all the new technology uh, set up the uh, infrastructure for handling the data. We're now producing over uh, a terabase of, uh, uh, of sequence a month. So that's a uh, 1,000 billion bases of sequence uh, every month coming out of the center, which is really a remarkable uh, amount of data being produced. And as you might imagine, handling the data stream is uh, a, a big challenge. And so we've had to set up uh, infrastructure for the information technology for the bioinformatics, for the computational biology to analyze the data. Uh, And so all of that has uh, been set up out at the West Campus and is being used by dozens of uh, of Yale investigators. I think uh, to date uh, over 50 Yale investigators uh, have used the facility.
0: And those are both bench scientists and then collaborators on the clinical side, right?
1: Absolutely. So I think one of the most uh, satisfying aspects of this is the ability for uh, clinicians at Yale to identify interesting patients or interesting cohorts mm-hmm. and uh, say, gosh, what can we do to figure out what the underlying basis of, uh, of this disease might be? And just in the last uh, two weeks, uh, several uh, really uh, high-impact papers have come out uh, in Nature from uh, Marat Gunnell's lab uh, identifying a new gene for cortical brain development uh, that was a very surprising gene mm-hmm. and a very interesting fa- uh, fa- uh, very interesting piece of biology. And uh, Keith Choate in dermatology identified a new gene for an inherited skin disorder that has very interesting features.
0: Do you see more of this kind of crossover between the basic sciences and the clinical sciences happening around campus?
1: Absolutely. The technology is really driving uh, the opportunity. We've we've known about uh, the impact of genes on disease uh, for over a century. But we are really right now at the time where we, for the first time, really have the tools to be able to say with some credibility that we can figure out almost any disease's genetic contribution, and there are going to be very many. So the technology is there, and Yale is just a great place to do this uh, work. There's always been very good flow between Mm -hmm. uh, very basic science and very clinical medicine, and so things have happened quite rapidly and very easily here.
0: So let's talk about some people who are particularly training to to make that leap between the basic and the clinical. Um, folks who are scholars at the Yale Center for Clinical Investigation, you serve as a mentor there. What kind of support do they need to really get off to a good start as researchers?
1: Yeah, I think that's a key question. Uh, because we're struggling in in many ways across the country to figure out how to keep uh, uh, clinically trained uh, individuals involved in academia mm-hmm. and establish them as independent uh, researchers. And I think it's clear that the it, it has become only more complicated uh, with time. And so when I think about uh, what is really necessary, um, I think it's important to have Uh, a very strong grounding in clinical medicine so that you can recognize important problems to pick to work on. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, uh, is what drives any good aspect of science, is being able to pick the right problems at the right time. Uh, And then to increasingly new investigators need to be capable both at the bench, but also have a level of sophistication computationally that yeah. was absolutely unnecessary, for example, when I was a graduate student uh, 30 years ago. Uh, and now it's uh, it's quite essential to the, the most successful uh, new investigators in many fields are those who can handle large data sets, develop new analytic uh, capabilities to handle uh, these data sets and ask particularly important questions. And so uh, trying to figure out how to uh, get new investigators grounded in a wide range of disciplines Mm -hmm. uh, is a particular challenge right now and one that, uh, that Yale is working hard to overcome.
0: So the level of specialized knowledge that you need has gone up and at the same time, everyone to some extent has to be a generalist.
1: So that's exactly right, and that and that is the challenge. The good news is. Um Uh, The opportunities in biomedical research, particularly as relates to human disease, uh, the opportunities have just never been better. And I I like to say that there is nobody who understands human biology uh, the way a physician does. And this provides uh, insights at the bedside every day, and you can't go on rounds and not be impressed uh, at the uh, sophisticated knowledge that uh, a well-trained physician brings to clinical care and training. Translating that Mm -hmm. insight uh, into uh, research programs and new biology uh, is something that I think uh, happens very well at places like Yale.
0: Thank you. That was Dr. Richard Lifton, Chair and Sterling Professor of Genetics, discussing the diagnostic possibilities of DNA sequencing.